Hey, it's Cody. And Matt. And thanks for joining us for another episode of The The Coma Coma Cast. Cast. Matt, we're going to be diving into all things involving the LGBT community, including our own lives. And don't forget our cats. We don't want to forget them. The Coma Cast starts now. Podcasting from the Lone Star State in Southern California, you're listening to The Coma Podcast with Cody and Matt. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Comacast. It is Wednesday, April 14th, and we are glad that you are joining us today. We're going to take a little dive back into the past. One of our first episodes that we ever did on this podcast, we decided to revisit that and uh, re-record it for y'all. We're going to be talking about Venus extravaganza for our main topic. But first... Uh, Matt, how are you doing? We're we're midway through the week here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how are things there better. in Texas? <laughs> I am finally starting to feel better. Um, one of the problems, I, I still don't feel 100, 100%, but I feel like I sound and I'm a lot more with it than I was the last few weeks. Um, the medication I was on is not supposed to have a taper off period. And neither is the uh, blood pressure medication I was on because I was only on that because of the initial one. Well, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to say that that is incorrect. And uh, mm. I absolutely had a completely wild experience um, coming off the medications. Um, but I've mostly returned to normal and every day is a little better. And um, I'm, which is great. I'm so glad. To yeah, feel- that's good. <laughs> Oh, there was um, some rough days there. I had some really bad days where I really didn't feel good. And, um, but it's, I'm so sorry. It's really caused a delay in our recording, filming, writing, everything. It's impacted every aspect of my life, but I'm doing really well. I'm still, it's, it's weird because I've been in a good mood because I'm excited about all these things that are coming, but you know, these other things happen and it's like, yes, those are not fun things, but it doesn't really impact my actual mood, if that makes sense. It's like mm-hmm. having a bad day, but not feeling bad about it. Like technically, yeah, yeah but I'm fine. <laughs> um, so I wanted to re- re-record because when we initially started doing this, we hadn't even, I didn't even have a microphone outside of my headset. So a lot of these were recorded on our headset because we didn't know what Comacast was going to look like. And so Cody had had equipment. But I did not because being far away, we were like, well, you know, we'll do this temporarily. But ultimately, the plan was for me to come visit every other month or so because it's not that expensive to fly from here to San Diego. And what we were we wanted to record like 10, 15 episodes at once and then just do little ones from far away, you know, in real time for things that maybe updates and stuff like that. So we wouldn't have to worry. Well, pandemic happened. (laughs) And uh you know, life happened. So we're like, okay, well, that's great. So we upgraded later and then the format changed, but we continued the same format throughout season one because we didn't want to change it. We wanted to just kind of I said plow forward, but I guess that's <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a child. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but listening, I, you know, I do listen to them. And when I've gone back and listened to them now, nobody's ever really complained to me and said the audio was rough. But I mean, because I'm assuming everybody knows we hear it, but my audio is rough and sometimes things cut out or skipped and and not because Cody edited them out just because the audio on my end had an issue and he just had to do what he could do. So I'm like, well, 
we have a better venue now. Uh, this seems to be better. I had to upgrade a laptop this last year because the other one does did not want to do it anymore. They just gave up. Um, and it seemed to have corrected 99.9% of the audio issues. So I thought it would be fun to revisit season one. Some of the first, the first seven to 10 episodes were a little rough. And also because more people listen now, I think it might be a good idea to, to revisit them. And it's a little better established. And Cody and I have, you know, more of an idea of what we are comfortable working with. So that'd be fun. And it's dark, obviously, but you know, silver linings and all that. Um, It's supposed to rain today. We were hoping to get out, go for a walk, go hike, go to the gym, but might be relegated to yard work uh, that I can get done in under an hour or two. So that's that's going to be our day. I mean, that's always a great thing. I mean, I love doing yard work, so it's relaxing for me. Some people think it's like, oh, it's a chore. Now that it's not like under the threat of being grounded and working under a perfectionist that literally drove me crazy because you can never do it right family um i do a pretty good job with the yard but i do not get bent out of shape if it's not perfect because it's what a couple of blades of grass (laughs) that's it ours is looking so so nice it's like finally everything is kind of coming together Um, we have trees we have two trees that were put in the front yard, one on each side of the front yard when we had moved in, it was part of the builders. And it has, I don't actually even know what kind of tree it is. All our neighbors were able to cut off the baby branches of it. So the tree grew up and then kind of fanned out where ours, I've cut off the branches twice and they keep growing back. But I guess I didn't cut them <laughs> off enough. I didn't cut it down to the stick. Yeah. Because I didn't really want to, but, and they each still had like the, the metal rods on each side of the tree to tie the tree in place. Well, we've been here four and a half years. The trees have thickened up. They've grown enough. So I'm shoveling those out today, untying them from the rods, getting them out. um, And I'm going to cut all the trees off, cut all the little branches off by hand. I did it with an electric saw last time, but the tree is still a little small. I'm afraid to Mm. take the electric saw and damage it. Other neighbors have, Mm -hmm. and it's worked out for them, but I don't really want to kill this tree in my front yard. So, <laughs> yeah, we actually are looking at, we have to get a new tree for the backyard. So we went this weekend, got some ideas. We go this weekend, look, look some more. Um, but we need something in the shade in the back. Um, but other than that, everything's good. Uh, it's been nice and cloudy and cool. It's going to warm up this weekend. It's going to be hot. Um, but um, there is something it's I, been nice. There is something Can't I did complain. want to mention. This is a fun first half topic. Uh, so. If we all know uh, Colton Underwood, a former Bachelor contestant who has come out, um, he landed himself a Netflix series where Gus Kenworthy is going to be his guide. So one of my mutuals. Now I'm like, really? This is come on. Like you couldn't have picked anybody else. And I don't think this is, I mean, gross. But then also someone pointed out, it's like, yeah, Colton Underwood follows real Candace Owens and uh, Dan Crenshaw. Yeah. Okay. Yep. No, thanks. I'm out. I mean, I wasn't going to watch it ahead of time, but now I'm just going to be straight up disrespectful about it. What a bucket of shit. Who wants to watch that? There's a a lot with that one. Uh, We'll have to talk about it more. That's the problem. There's not Um, a lot of substance there. 
right there. That's it. <laughs> it's going to be popular, of though. Of course it's going to be popular, <laughs> but I'm going to continue being disrespectful about it. So here we are. <laughs> um, we'll have to talk more about Colton Underwood uh, because there's a lot about him. But um, there's actually a funny clip from The Bachelor uh, with Billy Eichner. Uh, and we'll have to play that on Friday because um, it's just funny. It's Billy Eichner. But um, th- there's a funny incident that happened that actually, I think, aired on The Bachelor that when you put it all into place, it's like, hmm, interesting. Um, let's get to some news real quick, Matt. The NCAA uh, is looking. You, we've seen all these bills uh, in legislatures across the country uh, basically going against trans individuals. Yeah. Uh, Arkansas in particular has been really, really tough on that. But the NCAA uh, has come out in strong support for transgender athletes. Uh, this is as Republicans across the country are currently trying to ban them from school sports, that in particular among many other bills, but school sports is a big one. Uh, and the NCAA, NCAA is saying that they are firmly, unequivocally supports the opportunity for transgender student athletes to compete in college sports. Uh, they, uh, Board of Governors has reiterated this. Uh, they say they're closely monitoring um, all these anti-trans bills and legislations throughout the country um, as uh, NCAA is in all of these locales. And so they are wanting um, and coming out in support of this uh, and against <laughs> these uh, state overreach, I feel, uh, into the world of sports. But um, I think it's great. Uh, obviously, many times they do this. It's business decisions. But even if it's a business decision, it can still be a good decision. Um, but speaking out publicly, you know, I think that's what you have to have is these big public organizations and companies speaking out um, ahead of laws being Agreed. passed. You know, you can't wait till well, after. Right. So, you know, right now what's going on is voter suppression laws going left and right. And so many people are saying it is not voter suppression for people to have IDs. And it's like, no, the voter suppression is when in predominantly wealthy white or affluent areas, only waiting 10 minutes to vote. And in uh, black communities waiting four, eight, 12 hours or longer to vote. And that is the problem. That is the voter suppression because drop boxes are being removed and they're trying to ban mail-in voting, which is hilarious because we have states that everybody receives a ballot if they want one you know um Mm -hmm. there's also you know speaking of people using their platforms will smith and antoine antoine fuqua said and we cannot in good conscience provide economic support and they pulled film production out of georgia it was um, a yahoo article i pulled that directly from a yahoo article but uh by chanel janai and uh it talks about how you know in a time where America's coming to, you know, it's like a reckoning of uh, past and present uh, racism and uh, a prejudice, prejudice attitudes and a racist system um, or systemic racism, however you want to say it best, um, that yeah. providing the support. And, you know, it is aware that it is going to harm uh, the average person that would have been working in these industries. And that is not fair, but at the same time, economic support to the state because the state of Georgia passes bills and credits in order to curry favor with uh, production companies because people like to use mm-hmm. Georgia for shooting. I imagine between 
the overall yeah. balance of weather, open locations, and you know. Yeah, Georgia's like a huge, it's like one of the top uh, filming right. locations um, actually in the country, even more so sometimes in LA. Um, if you think of any Marvel movies or anything like that, they're mostly all yeah, shot in Georgia. And a lot of Georgia. people don't realize that. So, yeah. And a lot of people think that, you know, places like Georgia, you know, you don't really think of Georgia being such a big place for something like that because Hollywood typically, a lot of celebrities tend to be so publicly liberal. And then we have, you know, some right to their west is here, uh, me here in Texas. Texas is, yeah, they're two way friendly. Let me put that in perspective. We don't have state taxes, so we are very business yeah. friendly. It's those tax so we have breaks. a lot of corporations here. So a lot of companies have moved major headquarters. I'm here in Texas because of my job. They they killed all the regional offices and cost thousands of people lost their jobs all of us had to reapply for our jobs and i took a a relocation to texas with no relocation package because why when they moved me to austin the second day i was there they told me this is no longer going to be a growth location so i essentially moved there and tanked my career instantly i had no idea otherwise oh i would have waited and hung on for dallas yeah. which is one of the corporate offices but where are the other two phoenix and atlanta David did not want to go to Atlanta because at the time yeah. his job was was not there. And but we could have gone to Phoenix or Dallas. But Dallas, the other guy that was supposed to come with me to Austin, he was no he was notified there was no relocation package. And he decided he couldn't do it without it. Even though he was from Austin and been trying to move back to Austin for years with our mm. previous jobs. And he declined it and got Dallas two weeks later. I was a lot newer with the company. I'd only been there about a year and a half. And I was way too nervous to say, okay, sure. I'm sure I'll get something else because I wasn't sure, you know, not that I wasn't confident in my abilities to do the job. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're confident when there's a thousand other people who've literally a thousand other people who have been doing the job a lot longer are better than you at it. Being good is sometimes not good enough <laughs> when there's somebody exponentially better. Yeah. So I came to Austin and I said, well, you know what? I can still grow my career. I can still do something I love doing. I was gay wrong. I was gay wrong, Cody. <laughs> it was true. <laughs> and here we are. So you have all of these factors that play into the states that a lot of people don't see. You know, people criticize California heavily while not realizing that California pays the way for a lot of other states. <laughs> because California not get back that is very true but it's really hard for somebody who say like i've never been to california but it's hard for me to see why i could live there because i'm aware of cost so i've never had a job that would allow me to live comfortably in california and i think i would want to live yeah that's a thing even but even in my lifetime the cost of living there has went you know and obviously that's going to crash at some point it's insane but I lived in Orlando in 2008 when it crashed and I saw so many people lose their jobs. I saw so many friends. So that would have been, I would have been 22 and my high school class, we've all been graduating college around those times. So everybody is just kind of, some of them are starting to get their jobs. Older friends that have made in jobs are, you know, if we're all still serving, we're doing it as part-time to help buy the house or furnish the house and stuff like that. And then it turned into, Oh my gosh, this serving job two days a week at Disney is all I have because my job's gone. Whole companies, businesses, buildings, yeah. abandoned, drops. So, you know, when 
all of these companies choose not to say something, it has such an effect on everything from law, uh, things like trans laws, uh, voter laws. Like you said, they need to stand up and speak up because a company exists to sell itself. We all know that. That's how a business runs. But what is a business run by? The people. And that's been a point of contention for me professionally for a long time. When I worked for United Healthcare, this asshole of a manager we hired who told us none of us we could work from home, even though she worked remotely, um, and we didn't do a job that required being in office. Um, her she said she took it on upon herself to write us all weekly emails, and she would always sign it for the system. I wrote a nasty ass message on my personal whiteboard on my in my desk like I had a, at a desk mini office desk thing and i stuck it on the back wall so everybody walking by could see it and i'm like and what is the system run by the people who aren't happy what are you gonna do fire me oh no <laughs> like don't get me wrong <laughs> i needed my job I mean, but it should be it should be interesting to see what is going to happen um, as more of these laws, voting laws and trans right. laws are coming out across the country and across the state. Uh, I know in Texas, here's another one. Uh, there's a Texas bill, uh, Senate bill 1646 right now in the legislature that would brand parents of trans children as child abusers right. if they support their kids. Um, and so they would face parents would potentially taken. face jail time yeah. and have their children this take away uh, if the bill passes. Uh, this is dis- it's despite uh, evidence to the contrary that trans kids are better <laughs> with mental and physical health. Um, but uh, Texas Republicans are like, um, no, we're going to just sacrifice yeah. all of that because personal freedoms. What? Those lumpy ass marshmallows are telling everybody else what's best for their bodies. And I'm like. It's amazing what decisions you can make when you have access to the best healthcare you can possibly have. And amazing, you know, and they're going to get sued. But the point is, it's the cruelty of it. Even if it makes it through and gets sued by the ACLU and gets struck down, it is the absolute cruelty of the matter. And I'm just like, when we get to the point where we can pick your nursing homes, oh my God. The thing is, we can't we can't sit by, I, I feel, because you never yeah. know. It could stand, you know, and that's a thing. So it's always important when these things the are being argued next. that you speak like out and do everything you can. It should be LGB, not LGBT. And like, shut the fuck up. Who do you think they're coming for next? They're working right down the letters. <laughs> yeah. Here. Um, uh, just saying, they're coming. <laughs> um, it's It's like weird. It's weird because, you know, obviously they're not wanting these children to have their own physical freedoms and do what they want with their body. But then right now, you know, they're like, oh, we, you know, the government can't tell us we have to take a vaccine. Like, (laughs) pick a lane. (laughs) But they want only what they want and nothing else. If it doesn't, if it doesn't come from their mind, uh, no, we're not doing it. Um, uh, CVS has changed their COVID vaccinations, I think, registration. And this is really good. It's going to be more trans friendly. Now, previously, they had asked for uh, birth sex before uh, being allowed to schedule a vaccination. Uh, And so that question now has been removed from the form. Um, And so I think that that's just another like small way that helps um, trans people 
feel feel more welcome, I guess, essentially not being called out. Right. Well, medical uh, staff for something, are perfectly capable you know, of being uh, prejudiced and racist and uninformed, you know, and it's just like we are not too far from we we have literally leaders in state reps and people council people who who have been part of politics since civil rights era. And they've never, ever done anything else. You know, they've never gone back to school. They've never taken any higher education classes. They, they literally know nothing how the body works anymore other than what they were taught in the 60s. And so a half a century later, actually more than that now, um, they're telling us what to do. And I'm like, no, we have to remain open to education and change. Yeah. Um, just for Cody and I, the world has changed so much since uh, when... Equal, marriage equality was legalized in Iowa in 2004. That was literally the year I graduated high school. And I didn't even know I was gay then. I just remember thinking, okay, well, if they want to be just as miserable as I see all the straight people, have I seen people be miserable in their same-sex marriages? Oh, yeah. Have I been one of them? Totally. Did I get divorced and move on with my life? Yes. Do I? And I don't hiss and spit when I think of my ex's name because why? I'm a freaking adult and I moved on. Oh, my God. You know, like, obviously there's different cases, but the amount of people that straight people just seem to really hate their spouses. And I don't understand it. Like, have you noticed that? Like, I love hearing <laughs> the ball and chain jokes and all of that. And some of it, yeah, of course, it's playful sometimes. But until I went to live with my grandparents, who actually seemed to, they actually liked being around each other. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah and I, mean, I don't understand. Any so of that. maybe it's because it wasn't an option for us. And then the day I came out, I was like, oh, well, this is new. And then the day after I was like, wait, I think I just gave up a lot of rights yesterday when I said that. <laughs> but I, I did. And it would have been um, spring of 2005. Yeah. So things weren't exactly progressed. And even 2005, I was pretty okay being gay in Orlando, but I was treated like a novelty. To most people that were accepting of it, they were if they were nice about it, they were very like, "Oh my God, our very own homosexual, <laughs> yay!" You know, so they pick up their handbag, their little flip phone, a can, you know, some Fruitopia, and their homo, and go out for the day. You know, coming up next, as Matt said earlier, we're going to be revisiting um, one of our earlier podcast episodes. Uh, we're going to do this occasionally, but coming up next, we're going to be talking about Venus Extravaganza, and we are back. And today we are going to be talking about Venus Extravaganza. Um, you probably heard her name before, um, but if you haven't, stay tuned to this. And even if you have, stay tuned to this because you might learn something. But she was a transgender performer and she really actually came to prominence um, nationwide. And that's what most people today are going to know her from because she was in a documentary uh, in the 90s called Paris is Bur Burning. Um, and so that is, again, what most of us these days know her from, but there's a whole story to her and there's a whole behind the scenes of who she was, how she came to be. And then unfortunately her untimely death that kind of coincided, uh, with this documentary as it was being filmed, which is kind of a right. whole unique thing. And, um, that's what I found so interesting about it is that you're filming this documentary and then one of your characters in this documentary passes away and passes away under like an extremely 
serious situation that we still don't know who the killer is. Right. So like Cody mentioned that at the time there was a documentary being filmed that kind of followed the LGBT community. And we want to remember this is set in think early nineties. Um, I'm sorry. Well, so she passed away in 1988. She was murdered in 1988. And so the word trans was not much like when we talked about with Marsha, the word transgender was not being used in the way I believe it it's a, it was around, but it was not used in the way we use it today where, you know, language evolves and we just have to remember that. So she was born, um, May 22nd, 1965. And she, she was murdered on December 21st, 1988. She was 23 years old. Um, she in her early teens she became she took the name venus and then she was from the house extravaganza if you remember we talked about the houses uh in the ballroom community they tended to be a a community and safety and so the time she was underage so she was looked after and um it was actually uh the house mother angie extravaganza who was first notified by police that venus had been murdered so But before we get to that, Venus herself had her own career. So when she was 13 or 14, she had begun uh, cross-dressing and performing. And it's estimated this place is her earliest performances around the late 70s, like 78, 79-ish. But eventually, so she was doing this kind of behind the scenes. But eventually when her family found out, she herself chose to move away because she said she didn't want to embarrass them. And so she moved away to New York City, which... You know, this is this is a common. This is even now, um, people in our community do tend to move to New York City because, you know, one, it's a mecca performance, and it's a safe place to be who you are. Because if you've ever been to New York, one subway ride will tell you that. You know, there's just everything. So in 1983, her ball career began, and that's when the House of Extravaganza founder Hector Valley found, invited her to join the house. And she had said during, I believe it was during the Paris of Burning documentary, that it was the first gay man she had ever met. So at the time, you know, she's still underage. And um, so he took care of her through parties, you know, and bought her a cake on her birthday. And he eventually passed away, uh, Valley did, from AIDS-related um, complications in 1985. Because remember, in the 80s, it was still being researched and there was not treatment yet. So if you became sick, this is a time when many times nurses and doctors wouldn't even come near you. You know, it was just, people were just not informed. So this would have been the time, you know, when you've seen in the news, a princess Diana hugging or shaking the hands of somebody who was positive or is HIV positive or uh, dying of AIDS because she, she herself used her platform to bring prominence to it at that time, which probably might be a little difficult for a lot of us on the newer generation who did not have to live through that to understand You know, we hear about the stigma now, but this is the time when there was no treatment. So this was the era that Venus lived in. So after he had passed away, Angie Extravaganza took her on as her mentor and Venus became her drag daughter. And Angie said during Paris's burning that Venus was an aspiring model. And Venus herself said she did want to have a sex change because she wanted to make herself feel complete. So. Um, now she did, she was murdered so very young. So her life was cut very short before it really took off. 
Now, she was found on Christmas Day in 1988. It was estimated she had been dead for four days. She was found under the bed at the Duchess Hotel in New York. She had been strangled. And at the time, the shooting for Paris' burning was still happening. It was still ongoing. And some of the final scenes of the documentary were... um, uh, were anti-extravaganza reacting to it. So when the police found her, or when she was found, the police notified Angie Extravaganza first, and she was the one who had to notify um, her biological family. Now, Angie said that there were no leads, and, you know, unfortunately, she had been deceased for four days when she was found. And so there were no leads, and Angie Extravaganza noted that sometimes Venus took risks, just too many risks, and even one time she narrowly escaped a man who found out she was transgender during a sexual encounter. And there's more to it than that, but we're not going to really focus on that because it's one of the reasons Cody and I preach when we talk about online meetups and who you're meeting. Let somebody know these things still happen today. Just in the last two years, there's been several public cases of uh, people being attacked, lured away, murdered, beaten, robbed, and just horrible things that have happened. And unfortunately, this is what happened to Venus. And it's really important to remember that, yeah, be safe, blah, blah, blah. But it is not Venus's fault that somebody else chose to murder her. So we want to make sure that we in no way victim blame. Yeah, we tell people, lock your doors at night, lock your car doors so somebody doesn't steal from your car. Because lots of times she thinks are crimes of opportunity. But ultimately, the person who broke your car door or broke into somebody's house or assaulted somebody, they are the problem here. And same thing, just because she was trans and trusted somebody that she shouldn't have does not mean she deserved to be murdered. And it's I want to just really underscore that because I think that sometimes gets lost in translation because I can't tell you how many times watching the news you see an interview and it's like, oh, they just trusted the wrong person. Mm. No, the person should have just not been a rapist or murdered people. I don't really understand why, but we live in a country that I don't know what other countries are like because I've never lived there. But here, I remember growing up, oh, no, uh, kill them with kindness. You know, we, we teach our children, and I was taught the same thing, you know, be nice to the boys, you know, try to avoid the conflict, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and that's how you totally ignore the signs of punishing the shit out of somebody who grew up abusive and showed all the signs. That person goes out to the real world and feels entitled. They don't see a problem with what they did. That's why we have the bullshit gay panic defense that people use because their masculinity is so threatened that they felt it was okay to extinguish the life of somebody else. So, and unfortunately, Venus was caught in this. And this was 1988, and she was only 23 years old. I was I was telling Cody right before we started recording that I was watching a documentary and commentary on her sometime last year. It might have been before or after we recorded this initially. And there were people in the comment section of YouTube that still remember her. They knew her personally. Uh, we see references to her. Um, on Drag Race, we see references to her in pop culture. You may not even realize they're being um, recognized, but, um, and, you know, I know Cody has more on her career and legacy. So, you know, 
hand it over to Cody and I hop off my soapbox. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you were saying, you know, in the fourth season of Drag Race, uh, Willem uh, said, quote, a bunch of overgrown orangutans. And that is in reference to something that uh, uh, <laughs> Matt always loves that. Uh, that. It just comes out of nowhere. It gets me it every does. time. Um, that's something that Venus Extravaganza had uh, said. Um uh, you see her there had been a uh, like a musical or a play done about her that unfortunately was not done um with the blessing of the family and they you know were upset that it had been done but again her name has continued to be in the world of the pop culture um her nephew um actually has spoken about her at the time of her death he was like 15 or 16 um months old uh his name is Mike Pelagotti and um he was talking about uh his aunt and basically saying that with the stuff that he's talked to his family members about about um Venus that uh, he doesn't think that in her wildest dreams um, she would have ever envisioned herself becoming a transgender martyr. Um, him and his family just think that she would want to have lived her life and just be who she was without dealing with any of the social pressures or persecutions. But again, she really has become kind of like this, this icon uh, in, in the world of LGBT. Um, I thought it was also interesting um, that the the movie the documentary itself continues to um kind of shine a light on who she was who her family um was in the ball community um which i think is an amazing thing and if you haven't checked that out be sure and check it out and also i think i've said this before the whole the ball community is an interesting community to check out uh and look at we have the show on fx that's all about the ball community um and it's just something that's really interesting to check out uh, that involved her. Um, hit the nephew also. Um, of course, Venus was somewhat of an activist. Um, and he too is also carried on that as an activist. He um, I love that. is involved in Occupy Wall Street. Um, so I think... I see that coming. <laughs> it's just like a... It's like a something that is carried on. And you. I think that sometimes when you look at stories like this and it's an unfortunately a sad story, but that's what brings your attention to it in essence. And so you learn about these people. And I think sometimes it inspires people to, to they themselves become activists, be uh, in the community, um, not just a part of the community, but really helping lead forward the community in a uh, more positive fashion. And I think that she was able to do that by just being who she was not even realizing it and obviously not realizing what would come into the future, but everything surrounding her and who she was and the way she lived her life, I think has inspired people to be a part of activism. And I think that's such an important thing to do. And I know sometimes people are really shy about it or feel uncomfortable, but uh, I think there's always a place for someone to be involved in being an activist. Um, you can do things behind the scenes, but um, yeah, I, I, her life is just really an inspiring thing. Uh, it's unfortunate, again, that her life was cut short and that there was no like closure. Um, but I do feel like that our family has some closure in, in the respect of seeing what she means to the community and how she's kind of changed the community. 
do you know what's really disarming about her? If you watch when you watch the documentary, if you look up anything about her, um, you know, everybody knows when you think of uh, performance drag queens, the LGBT community, that there is fire behind all of us, you know, the sassy gay, the strong this, the tough drag queen, you know, things like that. But when you listen to Venus Extravaganza talk, she is so gentle. She's so sweet. She just is just... it. A lot of times people see, like, they're wowed by the transformation of somebody who they would never expect to be gay or be a drag queen, you know, and people don't have a problem saying that to us. And those are those comments don't bother me too much because it does take people by surprise when they don't understand, you know, what drag is. They're just like, wow. Yeah. But when they don't understand that trans people and drag are not the same thing, they can sometimes overlap sometimes, but not generally don't like for example you see on rupaul's drag race a couple of the performance they no longer do drag because they have transitioned and they consider themselves um women and they identify as women so they don't some of them do not do drag anymore because they don't want to but it's an individual choice for each person and a lot of times those transitions take people by surprise but when you hear venus talk i think just listening to how sweet she sounds and just her message and what she says, because she's being interviewed. You know, she was interviewed. She's part of this. You know, she got, like we said, she was murdered during filming um, and hearing her talk and interact with the community and how she interacts with the group when she's kind of talking to the crowd. And, you know, when she lets out the, uh, you look how girl, look how orange you look. It's a killer line and her delivery spectacular. But then when she there's a scene where she's sitting in her room and she's talking about um, kind of an encounter she had with somebody and how they talk and how she's so demure, it just it's disarming. And I think I wish people saw more sides of people, mm-hmm. not just the performance aspect of what people are. Yes, it's a it's a beautiful part of a person, but just because somebody is, you know, they can be bombastic on stage and kill a crowd and yeah. work a microphone who they are off stage may not be the same person you know i mean i can just say <laughs> just for myself when we're not doing this i'm very much like reading a book <laughs> you know i'm like okay all right but it's it's very common and it's celebrated in hetero life and like oh that celebrity you know you know, they'll do documentaries on them. It's like, oh, you get a tour of their house and how they like spending time in their garden with their dog or their kids. And everyone's like, oh, wow, how amazing. You know, Mm -hmm. well, we don't take a break from being gay. You know, I'm still gay walking around the garden. I'm just not on camera doing it, you know? And I think when we see these performances, when we talk about, you know, kind of these flashbacks in history and cases like Venus that, she is not just a murder case. She wasn't just a performer. She was someone's daughter. She was a sister. She was a whole person. She had hopes and dreams and she wanted a transition that would have made her feel better about herself. And it's her business. I can't understand why Mm -hmm. we wouldn't support somebody wanting to do something for yourself. You know, it's, but this was a different time. And I'm not saying things are perfect now, but as our communities become more mainstream, I would say that legacies like Venus and Marsha and as 
their names come back up. Um, people focus a lot on their legacies and not their deaths because I mean, nobody knows what to do with it. It's an awkward conversation. You know, as you said, it's a different time uh, than it is now when, when she died. Um, and, and the nephew was talking about, he was asked, do you think things would have been handled differently uh, had the murder occurred um, today? And he believed, yes, obviously, just for the simple basic thing of there being a lot more advancements in forensic science and just being able to take DNA and this and that. So just at that basic level of just technology has helped us a lot. And we've talked about that in a lot of the episodes where technology really has helped uh, the Jane Doe project um, and different things like that. But he says that he do he does believe that it, things would have been differently. Um, they actually many people in the family um, thought that the killer had committed suicide in jail, um, and he was asked further about that, like why why would you think that? And um, it was basically he felt that his grandmother had kind of made this up that the killer had been. Uh, put in jail and had committed suicide so that uh, his father and uncles wouldn't um, try to get revenge in some way or try to go like search out to find a killer, um, which I thought was quite interesting um, to see that, you know, Vigilante she was trying to justice is not a joke. I you mean, know, she was just trying to pe- protect her family and didn't want any other members of her family to to um, get in a situation that could be dangerous. But yeah, again, a different time, a different place. Um, as we look at these cases that technology investments uh, would definitely have helped. And also just I the think atmosphere. And technology would be the bigger upgrades as far as uh, police response or law enforcement response. I'm very divided on it because it really depends who even in very liberal cities, you know, San Antonio is pretty blue. And I can tell you the things that have happened in just the last 30 days. And you don't know you, you don't know. I, I don't have a lot of confidence that law enforcement would respond strongly as strongly as they could. Unless they felt there was a threat or unless a lot of publicity got thrown on it. But Mm -hmm. Twitter and social media when used for those purposes, when you catch the attention of Twitter or, you know, the internet mob, it can absolutely be a force for good because activism, like you said, doing things behind the scenes. Um, like I'm a really shy person in reality, but I can write really well when it comes to letters and be persistent and things like that. And activism takes so many forms and some people are really good at, marching down a street and projecting a message with energy and conviction and laying down a message and showing up and encouraging people and rallying people behind them. And that's just as important as the phone calls to your senators and lawmakers and writing Mm -hmm. the letters and talking to your family. And if they don't want to listen, just keep talking about it. Um, You know, just... (sighs) I was raised to believe that like social justice warriors and... uh, activism looked like people beating down other people's doors and you know not really the most positive view of it but i now realize where that comes from it comes from people not wanting to be inconvenienced into spreading equality from one class to another and which is amazing because i was raised literally poor as 
when I, when I live with my parents and I'm like, well, what's the problem with everybody? You know, Oh, we all want to be poor together. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but as your brain kind of evolves, because when you're only taught one thing, you don't realize how good you have it, even not just financially. I never feared. I grew up not fearing the police until I saw, started seeing things with my own eyes and friends would tell me stories. And then I had a few bad experiences that I'm like, had I not been a white guy, what would have happened? You know, uh, one of my white friends was absolutely beat half to death by a police officer in a case of misidentification. And the guy was like, I just want to call my mom. She'll prove my identity because they had the wrong guy. Yeah. And he was like a 19, 18, we're like 18, 19 years, 18 or 19 years old in our freshman year of college with two friends in the car trying to verify his identity. And they took his phone, his flip phone, and snapped it in half. Mm-hmm. Went to beat him. I mean, literally beat him senseless. And they even got a lawyer and the lawyer was like, yeah, good luck. They were like, oh, we'll replace your yeah, phone. And they, it, finally, he was like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I don't want, pop. he didn't want spotlight on it. He's just like, I just, I'll replace my phone and just go on about my day. I'm like, it's traumatic. And we're kids. We were like 19. We didn't know what to do. I would say 19 year olds now are way more prepared. And I say that because the Zoomer generation or Gen Z is not only do they have growing up with TikTok, Vine, YouTube, social media, and being able to see it. I'm hoping that our millennial generation because we saw all this technology evolve. We saw it when it started to come out. Then we encouraged them to say, speak up. And we should be voices behind them because now we are older. Um, and so situations like Venus don't happen. She was only 23. I mean, I'm 34. Mm-hmm. This is somebody that I remember being 23. I remember kind of trying to figure out my own life because I moved away from home. Now I had a better relationship with uh, my grandparents that I could have moved home. I could have chosen to go back home with them and I would have been okay. They wouldn't have disowned me. But can you imagine being your 23 year old self and facing these situations without any support? I can tell you that probably a lot of my decisions from even for me would have been very different than they, you know, than they were. Sure. Um, well, I hope all of you have learned something. Um, uh, we love talking about these stories, um, so that people can learn about them. Cause a lot of times people haven't been able to learn about them or didn't know about certain individuals because sometimes, um, they're just kind of hidden away and then you just really don't hear about them in history or aren't taught about them obviously in school. And so we hope you enjoyed this episode. Of course, you can get more about um, Venus Extravaganza on our website, thecomacast.com. So, hey, guys, we want to remind everyone um, that you can keep in touch with us on all of our social media channels, um, whether that is uh, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can do all of that at the Comacast. And we definitely love to interact and hear from all of our listeners. All of this is not possible without you guys. And if you don't mind rating our podcast on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast uh, provider is, just leave a comment. It's greatly appreciated. And thank you for joining us. See you next time.